If you've been thinking about wanting to start a podcast but not sure where to get started, I have some news for you. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hi guys, Donna here, and today I have the pleasure of talking to someone live from the UK, Miss Shelley F. Knight. Um, today we're going to be discussing her journey. She had a dream of being a nurse, and a lot of people can aspire to that. I know a lot of people that I've had friends that wanted to be nurses, but Shelley's journey has been one of success in it and challenges. So I'm going to let Shelley start us off with, you know, was it better to do this? Don't answer the question, though. Was it better to have your journey of following your dream of being a nurse? And what happened during that time? Bless you. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No problem. Yeah, so I've zigzagged through my career. (laughs) I did like nursery nursing, then I did nursing. And yeah, I've zigzagged through. But I've always wanted to be of service. It's always been a career like that. And so nursing was my dream, I think, it formed a lot of my identity for many years, actually. And I went through nursing. But when we do our careers, we go through life as well. And that kind of changed how nursing was for me. So I've now left nursing, which obviously raised the question, was it better to nurse or not to nurse? <laughs> well, I mean, there, there's reasons, even though when we have a dream, sometimes the dream doesn't turn out exactly how we want it to. So, I mean, when you when you started dreaming about being a nurse, were you a little girl or was this something you hit when you were a teenager? So I was about five years old and I said to my mum that I wanted to be a veterinary nurse originally, so for like animals. But my mum pointed out it'd be a very limited career because I'm a bit precious. Like I love animals, but I don't really like to touch snakes, reptiles, insects, fish really, just generally dogs I like. <laughs> <laughs> and so she started to highlight the problems I might have being a veterinary nurse quite early on in life. But I am really caring and loving and I love people. And it kind of was just there. So I think I said earlier, I did like nursery nursing. So that's looking after children, like nannying and things like that. And I love that. But it just grew as I grew in life. It sort of grew with me. And I just love the life experience, finding solutions to problems. I think, you know, good health. I'm a bit nosy. So I love to meet new people every day. <laughs> and so it became a dream. I'm just fascinated by people. You know, because we are all so different. I know there's a foundation where, you know, we all come in life and we all exit life. We're all very similar in that way. But I just love like the life experience people have, trying to make things better for people. So, yeah, it became a dream around the age of 16, really. Okay. I mean, and, that, and that's the thing. It's like we do evolve and our dreams change. So, so at 16, you decide you want to be a nurse and you started with infants. And what did that lead to? Did you decide that you wanted to expand that? You wanted to work with adults? You wanted more interaction? What made you change from being dealing with the youth and and nannying and babies? Yeah, well, I think I went through a quarter life crisis. You know, you hear about a midlife crisis. I got to like 24 and had this really inner niggle. We call it that, Donna, an inner niggle. Like, why am I here? Okay. And so I actually took a break from work and actually traveled for about 18 months around the world. And if we look back on our life, we'll probably think, oh, that's where my spirituality sort of started. But I kind of went around the world searching for myself, realizing I was me all along. (laughs) So I took a break. And when I did return to the UK, I sort of worked in medical research and went to uni. So, you know, whilst I wanted to be a a nurse around the age of 16 I went as a mature student at the age of 28 which is deemed quite old in this country <laughs> you know but, but here's the thing here's the thing that's I'm sorry to interrupt but the thing about it is going to college with some life experience behind you because I did the same thing I didn't go to, I didn't go to university until I went when I was 19 and then I didn't finish and then I went back when I was 27 
And even though people look at you like, what are you doing here? You have a better perspective of what's going on and being presented to you and, and how it fits into everyday life where the younger person just like, Hey, at least here, let's party. So, <laughs> so go yeah. ahead. No, it's true because I was painfully shy and people really struggle with that now thinking she never stops talking. I can't believe it, but I was painfully shy up to about the age of 16, but traveling on my own, you know, you had to make conversations. It'd been a very lonely 18 months otherwise. So I traveled for 18 months. I had to make the conversation, life choices. So then you've got a story about you. There's depth to your life story. It's a depth to the one chapter at least. So when I came back, as you say, I was probably better prepared then to go to university. And I loved it. I absolutely loved uni life. I wasn't a great drinker, really, because nursing doesn't give you many hours free, if I'm honest. But I absolutely loved it going you know, that age when I sort of got things out my system, that inner niggle, that travel bug. Has then a better place to work with stomach bugs, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I could do it. <laughs> but I absolutely love nursing. It was petrifying at times. Don't get me wrong. The level of accountability, you know, and thrown at the deep end, you know, staff shortages, death, everything that's in it is absolutely petrifying at times. But in those early years, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, I'm sure dealing with someone that is either in the moments of passing or death is a very hard thing to deal with. And it has to, it has to affect you on a personal level, even though you don't, you try not to be so attached to it. I'm sure it still has to affect you somewhat when you're dealing with that. Correct. Yeah. So I originally worked in acute medicines. That's not quite like um, emergency rooms at A&E. It's like when they've gone through that, they then go to acute medical ward where you'll be, hopefully made better with medicine is the idea but it's a bit where my plot twist happened actually and why I left nursing many years later but the plot twist at that stage of my career was I was working acute medicine on New Year's Day when my mum phoned the ward which is a really bad thing if your parents phone you at work she always like don't phone me at work you know yeah. unless anyone's died don't phone me at work and then my mum phoned me at work and she told me, you know, just a few words, David's dead. So basically my stepdad had died suddenly in the early hours of New Year's Day. Oh no. And I suppose again, I just talk, I just call it a niggle. There's probably some scientific term for it. <laughs> but to me, it's a niggle. I'd had a niggle for a while that I didn't want to be in that ward anymore. And it's a bit like the tower card in tarot. This was the push I needed. Uh -huh, so, uh -huh. I, yeah, it's sort of like create the change, woman, or it'll be made for you. So I took this call early hours of New Year's Day. My gorgeous, gorgeous stepdad had died. And that was like the plot twist. It was a sudden death, had to sort of go home, wasn't treated very nicely by the ward for being off work and things like that. But when I went to return to work, it was like, oh, was that the nurse that got the phone call? Was that the nurse whose dad's died? And it was just like that tower card. We think, I don't want to be here. I feel really awkward. You know, I know we make ourselves feel that way. And it was probably just the push I needed. So that's where the first twist to my career came, that I'd been working around death. But when I was told about death on duty, I then kind of was a bit more honest with myself, like, where did I want to be? And I'd wanted to work in hematology and oncology for years. So I did. But it's a bit of a strange thing. So bear with me. <laughs> it doesn't resonate with the listener. So my beautiful stepdad had died suddenly. Didn't get a chance to say goodbye. But in like oncology and hematology, like cancers and that, often there's a diagnosis, but there's a chance to say goodbye. There's a chance to get everything in order to sort of like, you know, right the wrongs, right. bucket lists, you know, all things like that. So I actually went to hematology and oncology almost as a healing journey because I wanted to know what it was like to have that time at the end of life. What it's like when you have a chance to say goodbye to your loved ones. What is it like when you know your time? Because we don't know, do we? You're always sort of busy saving money and things like that. But we always know how much money we've got. We don't know how much time we've got. And so it became the most privileged job in the world working at the end of life. And it's a lot of where like, my first and second book come from and so I was in hematology and oncology for years absolutely loved it 
And it is that, you know, it goes back to the thing like, was it better to have nursed or not nursed? And in that moment, in that career choice, it was definitely better to have nursed because it got me to the author, the podcaster and the woman I am today. Um, So, but you walked away from it. Yeah, because because life has this habit of just flinging poo at a fan to put it nicely <laughs> yes yes it does yes, it does. yes you know that, that proverbial fan um so my stepdad died which was my own wake-up call I moved into a speciality that I'd wanted to do for months and never been honest about but from that I started to have lost in other ways and I'm really open now I couldn't have done it a few years ago but I've had a horrible fertility journey and I kept trying to fall pregnant, which I'm quite good at falling pregnant, not so good at staying pregnant if you get my gist. And I've had numerous losses, numerous miscarriages. And I think people are always surprised by that because we have four children. I think I think I'm sort of like the queen of fertility, but I've had an awful journey. And so whilst I was there as a chemotherapy nurse and continually having consecutive losses, I then started to think, it was too toxic and I was a bit controversial, but I thought, was it the toxicity of the chemotherapy causing me to miscarry? So, you know, I tried various departments around that kind of thing, but that's when I first stepped away from nursing. I had two children by then, which had been quite difficult, but then I had five consecutive losses. And so I stepped away from nursing for, cool quite a few years like almost a decade I'm thinking but um, I'm sure it wasn't (laughs) time flies when you're having fun but I stepped away because I thought it was toxic and whether that was on an emotional level spiritual you know social psychic whatever it just wasn't working I wasn't falling pregnant and staying pregnant I didn't have the take-home family I had a successful career I'd gone into the private sector you know I had the car the salary and things like that but I didn't have my family And I think having worked at end of life for so long, it's not about the money or the career. It is about the family, the connection, the quality of your life, you know, and things like that. It's interesting that you mentioned the toxicity because when I was uh, an interview I did earlier this week, she was talking about, she had worked in corporate America and she was talking about the fact that it was very toxic and it was very toxic environment. It started affecting where, because there was other outside factors as well, but she couldn't digest food it was taking its toll on her. And me, in my corporate career, I used to be an insurance claim supervisor. And I started out as a claim supervisor. And while that might not seem like a big deal, sometimes when you're dealing with people taking recorded statements and finding out about their accidents that they had, you know, you're hearing about a gentleman who he may have swerved because he saw a snowplow cross a lane. And he swerved trying to avoid it. And the snowplow takes out the side of the car his daughter's in and you're not trained as an adjuster you don't you're not trained to have this whole i don't want to say kumbaya moment and they don't teach you that you're going to be dealing with this you're just kind of dropped in and so you you have to look at that factor of how do i handle this emotion after i take that statement how do i deal with this because you're dealing with somebody in that moment of grief you know um you were talking about the fact that death is sudden and we don't always know my husband passed last summer two weeks before he died he told me to go clean out his extra clothes in the guest room and I'm like why he goes because I'm not going to need them anymore and he has he had this shirt that was a running joke and it said fear me for I had the power to destroy you so the day before he died I I was still doing all this cleaning up and I walked into the, the bedroom and I said do you still want the shirt and he looked at me and really when I look back at it, it's just a heartbreaking moment. He's like, no, because I don't have that power anymore. And it was just like, oh. and I mean, it was never really that he had that power, but it was just the whole sentiment. And then by the following afternoon, he would have started his journey for his demise. So it's sometimes I think we know, even though we don't know, there's certain signs that present. So absolutely. Yeah. So let me ask you this going through such tragedy of losing of having five miscarriages i'm assuming consecutively how did you how did you make the decision that you still wanted to go forward with this i mean it had to be heart-wrenching for you i'm sure yeah 
I mean, we tend to sort of brush over it, don't we? We get on later in life. And I only realised this because my husband, he sort of like does contracts. So he goes into new places, introduces himself. And you say, we've got four children. I was like, wow. And he goes, oh, yeah, but we've had like 11 pregnancies. And you just, you get quite flippant with it, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was, um, my age was one factor because I was like 32 when we had our first. Um, but it is like with any positive change you want to make in your life, if you really want it, you just have to go for it. You know, and don't get me wrong, it was not easy because I wasn't really healing or debriefing after the losses because I just thought like next try next try but it was actually my husband as well because he was just sort of like if we really want this we really need to keep going and that's kind of life isn't it if you really want something you have to keep going even if your heart's breaking your soul's you know bruised until you get what you want or your soul needs you just keep going. But that's my mentality. I know a lot of people don't, and they just will get stuck in that chapter thinking, you know, maybe I had a miscarriage. It's too painful. I can't do it. I'm a feisty ex-nurse. So I'm just sort of like, I want it. And I have this thing, many lessons from the end of life, really. And it's about regrets. And I learned that we never regret the things we do in life. We only regret the things we don't do in life. And so I don't want to get to the end of my days and think, what if? You know, if I sat here with just the two children, thought, uh, what if I had have, you know, gone to have more children? I don't want that conversation. I want to get to the end of my life knowing I had a really huge psychological journey, but I've got four beautiful children. Yeah. And it is just that going for it. And it's not easy because it's a human life we're talking about. Do you know what I mean? It's not a number. It's a life. But I just think if anything in life, if we really want it, we have to just get that balance right between sort of like, that fear of failure to that fear of being stuck or not achieving and for me every time I'd risk the failure and the fear fear is a very tricky thing because yeah there's fear of failure but there's also fear of success some people suffer from that so they they get stuck because they have that fear of success it's like well what what's going to happen if I'm successful who knows it may be beyond your wildest dreams and then it may turn into a turd sandwich who knows but you have to try it and you can definitely look back and say i did that um do you think and we touched we talked a little bit about the travel thing do you think that helped ground you a lot better because your wonderlust was satisfied because you did all the traveling yeah absolutely i think I always act on the niggles now. I don't know what the term is. Maybe it's intuition. Maybe it's my soul just trying to give me a mighty whack from the inside <laughs> out. But I call it a niggle. But I just always wanted to. And again, it's just sort of like that curiosity of what is out there. And, I, you know, if I was a cat, I'd be dead because I'm just always curious. I mean, I'm always investigating and trying. But I had this niggle I wanted to see. There was more beyond, you know, the little village where I lived. There was more beyond my parents' broken marriage. There was more between my, you know, my broken relationships, you know, the jobs I'd done I didn't like. And I just always, even now at 47, I'm still feisty thinking, I'll just try that one more thing. And those other 27, you know. But yeah, I wanted to travel. And it's interesting because my husband and I have been together like 15 years and he never traveled when he was younger. And he goes, oh, I wish I had. So it's like, no, you don't, because that wasn't you. Do you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's just that comparison. Comparison's a killer, isn't it? Yes, it is. But- yeah, and he thinks he wants to travel because I travel and tell these stories, but that's not his life journey, his life lessons. But now with four kids, a cockapoo, nine fish, I'm so glad I traveled on my own. <laughs> yeah, because that's a, that's a menagerie. I mean, you're not going to take the fish and stuff, but that's still a menagerie and all the logistics of who's going to take care of the fish and is yeah. going to survive while we're gone. You know, how many times has that little story happened that somebody's fish passed away? Um, yeah. So where are <laughs> <laughs> where exactly did you travel so I started in Camp America because I used the nursery nursing qualification to sort of do um, Camp America so I started there went to Canada fell a little bit in love with Canada if I'm honest and then I came back got a visa and then I went to Fiji Tahiti Rarotonga Australia New Zealand if anyone wants me in New Zealand please just let me in um, <laughs> Tasmania it's my backup option if you've got anyone there that wants me I'll have that as well and I just had a blast I mean as I said earlier I was painfully shy as a child up to the age of 16 but it just made me who I am today you know and then you have those 
dark days that we do you know even as an author on positive changes I still have dark days when I think oh what am I doing with my life <laughs> you know you just think oh I lived on a beach in Australia and I met that gorgeous guy here you know yeah and you know you could do it in your local town if you're luckier than I was but for me I, you know the answers are out there in the world and it's a comfort to me that I have done that I have traveled well, yeah. I, I, I think travel you also get to see different people's culture i mean that allows you to experience so many different things i haven't traveled the only place i've gone internationally although i have my passport now is canada um but i mean i've lived several different places in the united states and you know louisiana is a grand example i lived in i grew up in new orleans and i moved to shreveport which is in the northern quarter corner of it and when i lived in new orleans we had this whole demeanor of we talk one way, but if you saw a movie like anything in the eighties, we all had that Southern drawl, but <laughs> no, no, we don't. So when I moved to Shreveport, everybody's like, are you from New York? I'm like, no, I'm from New Orleans. No, you sound like you're from New York. Cause I didn't have that accent. So, and just, I went from New Orleans, which is party capital. And at the time Shreveport was very Christiany home. You know, it was very tight knit. You, uh, certain things were closed on Sundays that were open in New Orleans. And it was just culture shock. So I imagine from going from country to country, that was even more of a culture shock for you. Yeah, my granddad, I mean, bless him, he's now up in heaven looking down. But he was uh, quite upset by my voice because it was sort of like a little bit American with a little twang of g'day from Australia. And then I, when I got back, I lived in Birmingham, like the black country here uh-huh. where we um, I can't even do the accent I'm not going to embarrass myself on air but there's a really thick accent uh-huh. and it was just sort of like where did your voice go <laughs> trust me I mean the thing is the longer you're away from your home you do lose your accent I mean I've lived here for 26 years and a lot of people are like I don't hear New Orleans anymore and when I talk to my relatives down there it's like wow yeah I can hear the accent because when I left I'm like I don't have an accent you don't notice that you have an accent but um, it, it's interesting because I think, did you learn about different type? I mean, I know you did, but did you decide that you had certain foods that you loved in America and Canada compare, and, and your other travels compared to your f- food from home? Yeah, I loved like Australia and Thailand and places like that. There's a lot of emphasis on eating outdoors, which I absolutely loved. Uh, America was a time of poverty. That was the start of my travels before I'd been really working. So that was a lot of Wendy's. <laughs> Wendy's value meal. <laughs> yeah, that 99 cent meal. If it wasn't for that, I'd be dead. So do you know what I mean? I'd be malnutrition stuck on a roadside somewhere. <laughs> I think that, that that's the common Ameri- poor, you know, young American thing, that and ramen noodles. You know, ramen noodles <laughs> in many different ways. Um, so you also mentioned uh, the tarot card. So I take it that you are familiar with the tarot. Yeah, so as in my life's just like, been on this crazy journey where I think I've got my stuff together and it's like hang on let's throw a few more deaths in there Shelley you look a bit bored so um yeah my stepdad died um my grandparents have died I've had the infertility things and you need to find something that works in your life for you so I think somewhere around like the second child I started to find what works for me that's not medical, basically? What's not clinical? And this is a huge part of my journey that, you know, you've got all the medical things, but it wasn't resonating with why am I having this not hard life? Do you know what I mean? I'm sure I signed up for it. But from that, I started to sort of sit in a meditation circle. Then we'd sort of do sort of like connect with spirit and then it'd be oracle cards and then it'd be a crystal and things like that. And I was just grabbing these little things, trying them. And yeah, I do tarot card every morning, just like do a shuffle. What do I need to know today? And just go with it. Yeah. Unless it's the 10 of wands and I always stick that one back in think that's not the one for me. Thank you. Well, just- <laughs> on my deck, uh, the cosmic tarot, the 10 of swords is a guy basically in a straight jacket and he's got oh. swords going at him and his mouth's open. But the interesting thing, and I always point this out when it comes up in a reading is his hand is free. You can't really see his hand, but his hand is free. So yeah. it's like, you're in control. You can get out of your own head to do this. But most people, it, it's amazing when you read cards. And have you read cards for others? I take it you might have. Yeah, yeah. So I do it intuitively. If you've got a guidebook of like the Rider White tarot, you'd be like, what is she on about? 
<laughs> no, I, but yeah, because it wouldn't be the traditional meaning. But for me, like, you know, the, like the Ten of Swords, for example, to me, I hate that card. I love the Death card, I like the Tower card, but the Ten of Swords to me is just like, kind of like um we haven't got to this yet but the another part of my journey of loss and it's just that that rock bottom that yeah. semicolon moment do I carry on or do I just play dead yeah and the ten of swords to me is just darkness but actually as you say you've got one hand free in your tarot mine is there's a new day dawning you can just see a little glimmer yeah. of light a glimmer of hope just starting to come back up and I think that that's the thing about especially now when tarot, when I started reading tarot, there was not as many decks. Now there's so many decks and there's so many interpretations. Like yourself, I do read intuitively. Um, I was taking an intuition class and I took another part of the intuition class and I was the only student. And the lady who was the teacher was a reader. She was my reader. And when I cracked open my deck, because I loved it, it has a lot of Hollywood celebrities and stuff of the olden days. And she's like, you see this book? I said, yeah. She goes, throw it away. I'm like, excuse me? Goes, throw it away. I'm like, all right. She's like, you're going to read intuitively. This is what you do. I know you have the ability, so do it. And she made me, we went through the cards real quick, not even really fully looking at it. She goes, okay, you're going to do a reading for me. Wow. Okay. And so I did and off I went and then I did a Halloween party and you know, it, I don't think there's anything wrong with reading intuitively. I mean, I know there's certain purists that'll sit there and go, you're wrong, but I think if the car, and that's what I always say too, when you're picking out a deck, pick out a deck that calls to you don't don't just go oh well everybody's got a rider weight i can't read a rider weight to save my life because i just don't connect with it i mean i'm sure i could read it but you know it's just not it's not there i'm not connected yeah. to it so um but i i appreciate that you you don't think the tower of the death card is the worst thing in the world that's usually when some when you pull that in a reading for somebody they're like oh my gosh it's the death card now he's looking at him said death that's actually my card. If you go by birth dates, that's my card. So there you go. Oh, I love it. I just think, yeah. especially if you're having a difficult time, you yeah. just think, thank God for that. Something's ending. There's a new beginning. Exactly. And that's, that's how you try to, that's how you try to explain it to people, but they don't always get it. Um, Cling to that past. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I don't want to do anything. I don't want death. Well, it's not physical. Um, so you say this journey you've been on. So how did you get into, so you've had the miscarriages, you've left work, correct? And then you decided to go into podcasting, writing, and the, the spiritual side of things. How did this, how did this metamorphosis take place? I actually returned to nursing at one point. This, I thought I'd try. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think, I'm so long, I'll go back. And if I'm honest, it kind of was part of my identity. Do you know what I mean? As a nurse, you feel quite cool, quite proud. You have a purpose, you're making a difference. So I went back and then left. Remember why I left first time? But yeah, I think it was my last pregnancy. It was a happy ending. She's six. <laughs> but um, my last pregnancy was one, a multiple pregnancy. We would believe it was triplets, certainly twins. And I just kept losing and losing. And then I was told to terminate this pregnancy, but I couldn't because, um, or one, <laughs> there's a high chance I was going to miscarry anyway. That was my story. I do miscarry really easily. But the other thing was I'd seen my daughter. She wasn't born, but I knew I had a dark haired baby girl to come. And our last child was a blonde boy. <laughs> so, and I'd had it for about 18 months, two years, and it was just getting clearer and clearer more frequently. So I went through with that pregnancy but in that pregnancy, it was my semicolon moment. You know, we think, do I end my story here? Am mm. I done? Is this too much for my soul to carry? And so it was my last pregnancy where I had to make a decision. Do I carry on with my life and do I end it? And I think people are surprised by that because I describe myself as a positive changes expert. And they think, well, you thought committing suicide once. It's like, all the more reason I can tell you it's possible to create positive right. change. So I had this sort of like suicidal thoughts around my pregnancy, my life, which made no sense because I had three gorgeous children, a lovely husband. But it was a lot for me to bear. So obviously I'm here. So I decided to continue. Yeah. But it was in that pregnancy that everything just changed for me. I had that vision. I had the doctor saying, you need to terminate. She's going to die within 28 weeks of your pregnancy. She won't survive in the outside world with that intuition, that vision. And Donna, that's all I had. I just had this recurring vision and I just ran with it. 
So I just embraced every spiritual thing I had ever heard of, not heard of, (laughs) and just went with it. So I had like psychic surgery, Reiki healing, affirmations, calling on miracles, grounding, connecting, card readings, color therapy, anything you could think of. Mm-hmm. I gave to that pregnancy, gave to that bump, gave to myself, you know. And without that journey, without deciding to stay on this earthly plane, without deciding to bring this vision to fruition, I wouldn't be spiritual like I was now. But when you try so many spiritual tools and they work, for me personally, it was really hard to go back into a clinical setting. Mm-hmm. You know, and as I'd seen my daughter come to fruition, how I saw people die and change as well, not just like how they shared what's important in life, not their life lessons, but I was aware of like temperature changes. I could see energy around the body. I was aware when the soul left the body, even though the doctors would be prescribing more medicines, I knew that soul had gone. And it's really hard. Well, it's really hard for me. Let's bring it back to me. It's really hard for me to be that spiritually aware we're more than our physical body and be a down to earth, practical nurse. So that's why I changed. That nickel would have been there for years that I wanted a spiritual career. I wanted something where I was of service of people, but without the night shifts and the drug rounds and you know the arguments with family and doctors. And so it was in that last pregnancy that I just become really aware of what's available to us spiritually. And then I was sort of like, you know, square peg round hole, we say here that I didn't really fit into nursing. Mm-hmm. I still love the end of life, the conversations, the lessons I still live by. But it's really hard to go back in when you can say to the doctors, sort of, oh, don't bother with the antibiotics. I can see their souls leaving, you know, or like you say with your husband, there's an awareness yeah. that things are changing. Yeah. You know, and that's what my second book's about, which is really controversial. But it's called Goof. Good Grief, the A to Z Approach to Modern Day Grief Healing. And it says clinically, this is what you'll observe around your loved one's bed. Spiritually, this is what's happening. And I know it's controversial and people don't want to hear it and that's fine. But that's why I gave up nursing because I was just sort of like, I've done the clinical and tried to save people, try to reassure people, but we're more than our physical body. We're more than that bad chapter of our life you know I'm more than my miscarriages and yeah so I did you know that was my dream to be a nurse to be of service but I knew also I wanted to do something for me and I've always wanted to write a book and I don't know why I don't know if it's like a thing that everyone wants to do but I always wanted to write a book I never wanted to be a bestseller I just you know they say there's a book inside everyone don't they and so whilst my book the first book positive changes doesn't speak about my fertility what it does do it inspires you to create positive changes because it's everything I tried and everything I learned about when you're at rock bottom please just get back up yeah um do you know what I mean I know there's mental health and when our loved ones die it feels like you no know, part of us die part of our story dies with everything seems unknown and overwhelming but if you're at rock bottom, I keep seeing that ten of swords as I'm saying it, that ten of swords card, when you're at yeah. rock bottom, you can't go any further. So please just try and come back up. You know, the, this touches this touches on two things I know. And I mean, on my prior podcast, I've talked about it. My mom committed suicide. And I had that conversation with her many a times that you can continue on. Things can change. And that's, you know, that's the one thing. There's certain people that you will never change their mind. They're on a mission to do it. And there's other people that, that one that one moment of reaching out to them can help and change everything um as far as yeah when my husband passed in the car i knew he was gone but they brought him back an hour later and i knew when they told me he died in the er again and they brought him back and i when they asked me they're like do you want to put him on a ventilator i'm like how is his mind going to be because i know he's already been oxygen deprived for at least an hour oh well, we don't know yet so you make you walk this fine line because you're like well what if there's that chance yeah so i'll put him on there so they woke him up this was monday they woke him up tuesday and he seemed very disoriented but he was there for a brief moment 
And then, and, and he was trying to talk and I'm thinking he was trying to tell me he loved me because I told him I loved him and we didn't get to really say that initially in the car because he was gone quickly. And then I had to make that decision on that Saturday. Do I pull the plug? Because I didn't want to be, I didn't want to let him linger. And I knew I had to do self-care. I wasn't one of those people that stayed at the hospital every day because I knew he wouldn't want me there. And this was destroying me. So I, I went to the, I went to the hospital. I saw him that Saturday. His friend came in and I made a decision to have him off of life support. He lasted until Monday and I was about to go up to the hospital that Monday. But I'm like, I am so exhausted. I'm going to take something to help me sleep for a little bit longer and then I'll go. And a half hour after I took it, the doctor called to tell me he had passed. And so I was like, well, that was his spirit trying to tell me to coax me to be okay. Uh, we had a little store here in town. And the only reason I'm telling you this is because it's about spirit. And he used to sew in there in this one room. And so after I cleaned up everything and I was, I was looking, standing by the door to that room. And as I was looking in, yes, I'm feeling all the sadness because he used to be, I used to stand there and watch him sew. And I felt him behind me rubbing my shoulders and my back, like telling me it was okay. And so speaking of the grief, so here I am, he's gone. I've been with him 16 years. This has been our life. And I have to make a decision because I learned how to eat my grief. That was something my mother instilled. And so I made a choice to, I either have to eat my grief or I have to lose weight and get healthy. I chose to get healthy. And it's not been an easy battle, but I've lost 30 something pounds since he died in June. And I'm still working on losing more, but I chose to take a step into the living, just like doing the podcast. I chose to be in the living and know that my journey's not over. And, and like you, if, if, if anybody listening to this and they are feeling a little helpless or hopeless, like, well, what am I going to do? My career's completely changed. I went through a complete career change. And, and like you, nursing was your identity me being a claim supervisor was enmeshed so deeply in me that you have to step away and go that's not really who you are it's a title of and a part of you but it's not who you are so find out get to the root of who you are and that's what you've done obviously yeah and it's hard you give ourselves such a hard time in life i find because, you know, I did nursing, then had these fertility issues and stepped away from nursing. They went back because, you know, I really wanted these children. But then I was like, oh, my God, who am I if I'm not that label of mum? Yeah. You know, and I'd wanted these children for so long. But then I was like, I don't know if I like the title of mum. Do you know what I mean? It just felt frumpy and I didn't feel alive and was I making a difference? When actually we're always making a difference and we shouldn't, you know, fill those roles, whether we're like working in claims or working in hospitals. You know, it's a just keep searching all the time you know I mean, it doesn't pay the bills so well being an orphan podcast if I'm honest but you know no. I'm, my life is rich in other ways and you know it goes back to the end of life again that at the end of your days it's not about the money never once was I asked you know like could you get in my designer shoes and we just you know the designer outfit or the brand new car it's not about that it's always like can you bring in my daughter you know my ex-wife I want to say sorry you know it's about people not things at the end of a life you know it's not about the titles we do it's about the difference we made within that title maybe so yeah, well, yeah. go ahead no I just I just had this thing about always really keep going but I yeah, yeah. I say I understand what you're saying about suicide as well that some people just don't want to be saved and it is overwhelming and it just breaks my heart it truly does I had a lady on my podcast suicide survivor and she was amazing because she just said, like, spot on to camera, she just said to the audience to sort of just know there's nothing you could have done in that moment. It was right. their choice. It's the only way they could see out. And I think that's what's really hard, isn't it? Yeah. In life, in death, whether it's suicide, murder, sudden, slowly, we always want to think that we could have, you know, I don't know, changed that journey, but we can't. No. Yeah, you know, there was a woman that I read, an older woman that I read tarot for at a party. And when I stepped into her energy to read her during tarot, I felt exhausted. And so as I'm reading her, she's sitting there telling me, I'm telling her all about her kids. Okay. All about her grown kids. She's an older lady. I'm telling her about her grown kids. And she looks at me and she goes, I don't want to know about my kids. I want to know about this man I'm seeing. 
I want to know all about him. Okay, well, you know, it's really late. So guess what? I'll come back and read you for free. I'll do that. No problem. I don't have a problem with that. Okay, so I get in my car, my energy is like back 100%. Like, okay, about a month later, I run across one of her friends at the grocery store. And she's like, I'm glad I found you. I'm like, why? She goes, well, such and such. I'm like, yeah, she goes, she, um, a couple of days after she, you read her, she had pneumonia and she ended up dying. And I thought to myself, okay, so that's why she needed to hear about her kids, even though she didn't want to. Yeah. And, and you know, that's the one thing. Sometimes we get messages, whether it be, be, be your intuition or card reading, whatever. Sometimes we hear a message and sometimes it resonates with us. Just like you realizing going back, it's like, no, this isn't right. This isn't, this is not who I am. When I worked in claims, um, I used to have to judge how much somebody's injury was worth. Mm-hmm. How much, how much was their life worth? How much, and I'm not meaning life, life, but how much was losing their career or this and that. And I had fallen and hurt myself. So suddenly, and I was a supervisor by this point, suddenly I'm like looking at myself going, what gives me the right to judge somebody else's pain and suffering and injury? Because we all suffer differently. So it was a really, and I mean, there was other reasons why I ended up leaving, but it, it becomes a mental mindset of this is not working for me. And how can I do this? Same thing with the nursing. How do you do this if it's not in your mindset? You know, you just, you have to make those changes. Yeah. And it's hard because obviously I left thinking I've got this, I've nailed it. And then I'm like, I'm just going to go back actually for another year. <laughs> you know, and I'm quite feisty and I'm like to think I'm quite clear on what I'm doing. But even for me, I was just like, no, I'm not ready. You know, because you do get these labels, you do get these roles, these safety nets in life. And it's, you know, finding something that throws you out, isn't it? Yeah. Well, and, and the, you know, and it's some of the labels that I don't like, like for me, when I divorced, I, I've been married before. And when I divorced, I went back to being single. I was happy being single. There was no reason for me to tell anybody I was divorced on a form. I thought, this is none of your business that I was divorced. And if I got involved with somebody, sure, I'll tell them I was divorced. But now, because I'm a widow, it's on my car insurance. I'm like, even my doctor's officer, like, so married, medical status. I'm like, well, I'm a widow now, but I prefer not to use that word. She goes, okay, we'll say you're single. I'm like, okay. Because why do, why do I have to have that label? And that's the thing. We fall into these traps of being labeled all the time in different ways, whether it be career, our, our marital status, our skin color, our sexual preference. Why do we have to be labeled? Yeah. And it's hard, isn't it? Because yeah. we just get lost in it. Because as you say, there's labels are everything, like who you're married to, how old are you, where do you live? And you're just sort of like, they're just layers. You know, life's heavy enough and these extra layers on it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's where we lose and we lose our identity. Then we all become just a statistic of, oh, well, you're in this demographic. Oh, no, you're in this. Demo- you're a Gen Z. You're a boomer. What? How about I'm a person? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um. So currently you're not doing the nursing, correct? You're just no. playing mom. <laughs> so how old are your kids? 14, 10, 8, and 6. It's a nice diverse span. Yeah. So so maybe in a way, if you look at you look at it from a positive side, you have enough of an age gap so you weren't so overwhelmed with all of them being so close together. Yeah, I did want them all together. And that's like because people um, often look at them and they say, Oh, that's nicely planned. I'm like, no, because actually when our daughter was so it goes boy, girl, boy, girl. So we had a boy girl and then that's when the like consecutive losses started happening we actually tried after about four weeks you can't imagine can you having sex after four weeks of labor but we did but then there's a two-year gap you know so I actually wanted them a lot closer I wanted that whole sort of like three under five kind of thing but it just wasn't my story but now Um, I'm quite grateful for the the gap (laughs) I'm sure like I said I know people that you know um my husband's family it was like three of them back to back and they had two that are, there's a big age difference early. And then there's three back to back. And while my husband tells me these stories about how great it was that they were all together as adults, they were not as all together, but that's, you know, that's his journey. And, and it's interesting because family dynamics, 
because of the age difference with your kids, are they still as close or are they night and day? You know, no, they're really close. We've noticed just this year that when we drop them off at school, well, the youngest three are the ones at the secondary school, but when you drop them off, they all hug each other goodbye before they go into class. All the other sort of siblings are like giving each other a quick slap, you know, and they're uh-huh. darting off. But our family just like squeeze each other and hug each other, you know, have a nice day. So they are really close, which is probably why I had four. I think if they'd have been a bit rude, I probably wouldn't have bothered. <laughs> but no, they are really close. They're all totally different personalities. The amount of times we've been asked as husband and wife, like, oh, are you foster parents? We're like, no, we, but they just look like that. So like, no, one's got darker eyes. One's got darker hair. One's really painfully shy. The other one's like just handing her way through life. You know, <laughs> they're all really different, but no, we, we, I did make them. I do remember it quite well. <laughs> <laughs> so um, having the kids and having them being so different, did you foster or do you foster meditation with them? Do you foster trying to get in touch with what they, what their, I don't want to say true purpose, but what they really desire? I mean, or I would assume that you're one of those parents when they say, oh, I want to do this. You're like, okay, let's, let's experiment and see what's going on. Yep. So um, the youngest three, actually, you know, all of them have tried meditation, especially for stress. Uh, and mindfulness just last night my husband and I did yoga with our eldest daughter I think journaling we're really open communicators it's just sort of get everyone talking about how you're feeling where is it in your body Uh, we did body um, pendulum where you sort of ask your body and you walk back and forth but no we just you know the tools saved my life so you know and I worked at end of life you know this whole connecting is what they tell you end of life it's about speaking your truth connection to others my journey is finding tools that work for me, whether that's, you know, having an evening to yourself, drinking more water, holding a crystal, meditation. So our kids are, they're not hippie, they don't wear tie-dye or anything like that, but they are, you know, really down to earth. Like we do breath work, like when you breathe along your fingers, in, out, in, out. We do yoga with them. Even walking outdoors, they have to go outdoors at least once a day, even if it's horizontal rain or a blizzard, still go outside. It's good for your lungs, you know. <laughs> do you do you limit their their internet and social media then? Yes. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> well, that, that's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're truly being a parent because you're you're trying to teach them something that I'm sure you didn't learn. Stress management. If stress management were taught to the younger or the older generations, I think we'd be in a much different place in the world. Yeah, we have our eldest two, so they're 14 and 10. They both have mobile phones now, but there's a contract that we can check your phone whenever we like to make sure you're not being inappropriate to anyone. You're not at risk of being bullied. You're not accessing things on the internet, which isn't what you need to hear. You know, so people might not like that, but it's just like, I'm paying for your phone. Mm-hmm. but you've got access to the world I need to make sure you're safe with that so we do check their phones um, they're not allowed them in their bedrooms at night um, if they do have like games like when I'm podcasting and that it's hour on hour off but you have to go outdoors you have to be hydrated <laughs> so yeah we do you know and the electronics it's quite funny because you don't realize because whatever you do in life you know just becomes your norm and we got taken in last year by <laughs> One of the school teachers at primary school said, Mrs. Knight, could I just have a word about Poppy's homework? I was like, yeah, sure. And he's like, well, they're meant to be working online doing this maths program, but she says she's not allowed electronics at home unless it's the weekends. <laughs> so she hadn't done her homework because you're not allowed on a tablet. Do you know what I mean? You can read a book. You can do art and crafts. We've got a massive trolley of art and crafts. Anything sensory, you can have it. But um, yeah, I got taken aside by a teacher to say sort of like, um, Poppy said that she doesn't have a tablet and that's what their homework is. Do you think she could access one? I said, like, oh yeah, this week she could. Um, <laughs> you don't realise do that everyone just automatically has these electronics. You can do, you know, do this, do that. And I'm like, not in our house. <laughs> but see, that that's, I applaud you for that. And somebody will disagree. Um, when I was a stepmom, there, the show Full House was on at the time. And I didn't have a problem with it. We didn't have the Disney channel, but the girls started watching it and I, I, it was all fine and dandy. 
until the youngest one decided to start mimicking lines and being a little smart mouth. And you, people can chastise me for this, but I'm like, okay, guess what? You, we can't watch this show anymore. And she's like, but why? I said, because you're picking up bad habits. If you're going to pick up bad habits from that, we can't watch it. And she wasn't pleased at first, but ultimately I think both of them realized what I was getting at because I watched my nieces and they watched, I was, we were babysitting them once they were watching Hannah Montana. And it was like, I sat there mortified because they were mimicking everything. And it's like, well, but their mom is really kind of tight. You know, she's kind of like, well, they can't have a computer. They can't do this. I'm like, but you're letting them watch this. So, I mean, I think, I think we, that's one thing we are so busy now with technology and everything coming at us that we don't have that time to decompress and we don't have enough time to monitor what our kids are doing because we're trying to make a living and provide for them. So I think there's so much pressure now that how much are we parenting and how much are we not parenting? It sounds like you got that down pat though. I have days where I just think like just have it I mean I'm living with long COVID at the moment so I get exhausted mm-hmm. and I can't do like the run around the park you know and I can do a bit of art and crafts but you know it's quite limited and you know you do have things like just have your tablets they think it's the best day ever I'm sure do you know what I mean it's not a meditation in sight but <laughs> <laughs> you know and absolutely if you're struggling with your own mental health or me is like my own energy levels you know you have that need but then because it's so precious mm-hmm. it kind of works yeah yeah because they had it every day I think I'd sort of feel really bad they'd have it every day and there's another day do the same old thing but it goes back to the fact that I'm a bit of a curious soul and I always like to do different things well but that's the thing you're you're showing them diversity and they're not so attached to things and whereas you and I are close in age we had magazines to show us how to look now we have oh look there's all these people these celebrities on on social media that have photoshopped their picture to way beyond belief and you know you have kids going well i want to look like that well there's no way in reality they even look like that so by giving them a healthy dose of reality and keeping them grounded that that is i applaud you for that i do Oh, bless you. My daughter doesn't. She's going to secondary school in September. It's like, Mum, when can I wear makeup? It's like, mm, when you're 21? You know. She's like, you're kidding me. I was like, you have to ask yourself, why do you want to wear makeup? And she's stunning, my daughter. She's got really long, dark eyelashes and her lips, even though her hairdresser said, like, has she got lipstick on? I was like, no, she's just got this beautiful dusky rose lips, nice. really thick eyelashes, but then blonde hair. And it's like, I want to know why you want to wear makeup. Do you want to wear makeup for your confidence? Do you want to wear makeup because everyone else is doing it? Because I want you to know that she's just beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely stunning. And it is, yeah, so you might think it's lovely. She's not at the moment because I'm like, no, not having it. No, but (laughs) you see, I I had a mom like you because I think I was 13, 14 years old. And I'm like, mom, can I wear makeup? No, you can't. But why not? You can't wear makeup. I couldn't shave. Can I shave my legs? Because the first time a boy put his hand on my leg, it was kind of like, he's like, oh, Harry. And I'm like, uh, I just haven't shaved. I had never shaved. So th- so we came to a compromise to use Nair. And I don't know if you know what Nair is. That's the yeah. 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 That was like the worst nightmare back then. But it took me, she moved, I moved in with my grandma for a year. And since mom was gone, I wore makeup. But when I moved back in with her at 16, she was just kind of like, what is that on your face? You got too much done. <laughs> Sorry. And then about two years later, she showed, she wanted me to show her how to do her makeup. So, but yeah, I mean, my mom was very much a stickler. No makeup. You can't wear this. I had bought this really cool dress. She's like, nope, you look too old. That dress has to go back. Okay. But <laughs> it's a dress. Nope. Looks, you look too old. So I get, I understand what you're saying. And you do want your kids because the longer your kid can go without makeup, that their skin stays better for one. And it, they get to be true to them, but it could be a lot to do with the norms. Everybody else is doing it. Yeah. And that's hard, isn't it? I don't remember anyone wearing makeup in my school. Well, that's just, I think I felt really old then. When I was thinking, did they have makeup in my days? No, they must have done. Must have done 40 years well, ago. Yeah. That's when, they, that's when they used to do the berries and twigs. <laughs> no, I, I understand. I mean, it's like makeup has changed and now just the way everybody's wearing and I'm looking at people, I'm going, Okay, I don't know that I would do that, but okay. 
but yeah. I mean, there are a lot more, the, the internet is great because we've opened up this whole world of expression and freedom and creative ideas, but then there's some toxic bits to it. And I think that as a parent, you have to find that balance. It's important. And I think you're doing that even much to your daughter's chagrin, you know, <laughs> she'll understand one day when she's a parent and her daughter will do the same thing. And it'll be like, Oh, now I get why my mom yeah. that. <laughs> I, I completely understand. Um, so one, I wanted to touch on real quick about your stepfather dying. So I take it he was a very positive influence in your life. Yeah, he's gorgeous. Just, I'd say now, like, you know, all these years later, that he's probably an earth angel that's just meant to step into my life for a few years there. Just a really gorgeous man. And he was just always positive. My mum might disagree, but to me, my stepdad was always positive almost annoyingly so and I think I've just merged into him if I'm honest <laughs> but like when my mum was diagnosed with cancer or if I had a relationship breakdown or come back from my travels and things like that he used to say the same thing he used to say two things that used to be like it'll be all right so even if someone has died or dying it's like it'll be all right and he said it so much it's our walks humor in our family I just disclaimer this but you say it'll be all right and that's on his gravestone on his headstone it's got like his name uh-huh. when he died it's got it'll be all right because he just told us all the time so nice. on his headstone it's got it'll be all right nice. and the other thing is what I use as part of my branding which is life goes on because I used to say sort of like oh god you know I didn't get that job or oh my god this is such a no, I don't like this relationship he goes oh well life goes on I used to be so annoyed to be there, you know, with dyed red hair and my big, you know, black cherries lipstick, angry goth stage of life, with my Smith's t-shirt on. And he'd be like, oh no, life goes on. Oh, and I was so angry. <laughs> and then I get, you know, yeah. to the end of my life, not end of my life, I don't want to die at 47 really, no. but I get into where I am now and I'm like, oh, life does go on. Yeah. Not how we anticipated it, not maybe as we had wished it did, but life does truly go on. And that's the whole thing. I mean, when you're younger, it's like the smallest thing that that boy broke up with me. Oh my gosh, I, I'm never going to survive. Oh yeah, you will. You will. But yeah. we, we don't see that. We we do not see that at that moment. And that, I guess that comes with age. Yeah. You know, being able to reflect. And it's hard, isn't it? Because you sort of like when you like, you've got a teenager. So it's getting to that sort of dating stage. And it's really hard. My husband has to pull me back because he's saying, Shelly, he needs to learn. I'm just like, oh, cotton wool, bubble wrap, anything to protect him, you know. <laughs> and it's just really hard when you just think, oh, treat my son nicer. Don't say that. Are you going to be all right? And it's really hard. I mean, my background, um, we could be on here for hours. I won't go into it. But, you know, I've had like domestic violence and things like that in my life. And I just get really protective and I shouldn't, because if I hadn't had the domestic violence or people attempting to end my life, I wouldn't be the woman I am today. So I know I have to let my children go and make their own mistakes, their own learning. But God, it's hard. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's a matter of you want to protect them. You want to make sure they're OK into the very, you know, in everything. But sometimes, you know, when my my stepdaughter got married when she was 21. She got married. She was thrilled because she was doing it on 7-7-07. It was going to be this wonderful day. I'm like, yeah. okay. So she calls me and she's like, I'm getting married. And she's all excited. And I'm like, okay. And I'm thinking, I get off the phone with her. And this is my stepdaughter from my first marriage, but I still talk to her. So I get off the phone with her and I look at my husband and I'm like, I'm happy she's, she's doing this. I'm going to go to the wedding. Yes. It's not going to last. She's 21 years old. It's not going to last. He goes, but you didn't say anything. I'm like, no, it's not my place to. So fast forward, we go to the wedding. Two months after they're married, the marriage falls apart. And I so I'm laughing. I shouldn't laugh, should I? No, Sorry. but so I'm on, the phone with, I'm on the phone with her and I'm said, I said, yeah, I kind of knew that was coming. She goes, what do you mean you knew that was coming? I said, when you called me and told me you were going to get married, I said, I didn't think it was last. I told John, I didn't think it was going to last. And she's like, why do you say something? I said, because you would, there's two things that would have happened. I would have said it. You would have said, no, you're wrong. You would have got mad at me. And 10 to one, you wouldn't have wanted to talk to me anymore. She goes, oh, well, Bob said that too, her stepfather. I'm like, okay. She goes, but neither one of you wanted to say anything. I'm like, because it's your mistake to make and your mistake to learn from. We can't, we can't jump in there and fix it for you. 
So, so I think it's that, hard, isn't it? Yeah. You think, oh, as you say, in that moment, you'd have come off as the bad person. Yeah, you'd be like, "This is my happy day. You can't be happy for me," and all that kind of thing, isn't it? Exactly. So, you, so you just step back and you celebrate the day and you celebrate the moment and you pray that you're wrong and you know, and then if you're not, then you just you accept it and go, okay. Yeah. So. So um, I, I know you have a podcast. So what is your podcast name? I'll explain why it's called what it is because people are like, really? <laughs> it's come from the first book. So the first book was Positive Changes, a self-kick book. And it was my teenage son again. He made me realize that not everyone's a reader. And I have this real passion for helping people feel inspired to create positive changes. So he's like, well, I don't read a book. So the other people don't read a book. So then I thought I'll make a podcast. And I'd never listened to a podcast but I have a great curious mind. Things I just try anything. Let's have a go. So it's positive changes, a self-kick podcast. So it's literally bringing the tools from the book into people's ears was my plan. The universe and my listeners had other plans. Of course, of course. <laughs> so it started out as a solo show mm-hmm. and it was just me and my book sharing pain points, sort of like, you know, the search for happiness. Who am I? Speak your truth overcoming fears and things like that but about three weeks in people started reaching out going I love your show but <laughs> I've been through my own positive change which wasn't fertility or death can I share my story and the tools and I'm a polite girl so I went yeah sure come on then think I do six solo six guests we'll all live happily ever after Ooh. but no <laughs> it turned into a interview show yeah and won two awards here in the UK nice. and it's um Yes, yeah, a positive change self podcast done season two was 50 episodes. Wow. And we're just in season three now. Yeah. Wow. And it's um, so I did that. And then my son still didn't listen to it. I was like, I've just done a podcast. And he goes, Yeah, I'm more into YouTube now, Mum. <laughs> so now there's Shelly F. Knight YouTube channel for anyone <laughs> that doesn't read a book, listen to a podcast. I'm over there. <laughs> <laughs> if he comes up with any ideas, I'm going to stick him in the garden. <laughs> But I mean, obviously his, his insight has helped you grow. So that's a good thing. Yes. Another, you know, things happen for a reason. Life goes on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so you have two books out and are, is there going to be a third book? Are you writing another book or is it just going to be the two? No. So good grief. Um, that's my short title. Oh, books got a bit passionate and called it good grief. The A to Z approach of modern day grief healing, if you will, that's out September but it's serious really and it's spiritual and it's the clinical medical, but I've started book three, which is just my crazy journey. As we probably realized from today, my crazy journey and relationship with spirituality. And so in there, it's like when I first tried meditation, it wasn't a success story. And then my shamanic drumming journey, that was a nightmare. I felt a bit spacey. Everyone else in the room was kind of like, I'm at one with the universe. And I was speaking to the natives and they come to me and they went, how was the journey? And I went, oh, I felt quite sick. And I felt like I was turning into sort of like a batter mix. <laughs> so, <laughs> so my next book is um, very Shelley. It's just me, like spiritually, meditation's great for you. However, disclaimer, here's how I started, you know, and then it's shamanic journey. And however, this is how my journey was. So it's all the spiritual tools I use probably in my daisy journey, my daughter's pregnancy. But it's not perfect. It's like, you know, so if you try meditation and it's really weird, or if you do shamanic drumming and you think you turn into a Yorkshire pudding or a batter mix, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know when it'd be out, but um, yes, yeah, so it's all spirituality, the wonky donkey way. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a good title. I might use that. <laughs> it, it, it sounds, it's a catchy title. You know, the wonky donkey way would definitely, uh, you know, somebody. Um so do you do, do you do healings or, or anything else beside the podcast in your books? So I'm just creating a coaching program because I'm always giving tips away on the podcast and in the book, like do these tools and that, but people need different levels of motivation. So you might read a book, listen to the podcast or watch on YouTube, but I'm now creating a program so people can do like, um, work with me. <laughs> They're thinking, no, oh, thanks. Love you. Mental. Um, <laughs> But yeah, you can work with me in a little group program, one-to-one, and then I'm creating online programs, the courses so people can do it in their own time. I'm trusting people to make their own positive changes. But would you ever actually consider one-on-one consultations with people? 
I think so. If I got the right person, do you know what I mean? I was when I used to do clinical hypnotherapy and past life regression. That was another part of my journey when I stepped away from nursing. When I used to do that, I would never see anyone if they said, "Oh, my husband sent me because he says I've got to lose weight," or "My wife sent me. I need to stop smoking," or "I've got this block of commitment fear," and you know, my boyfriend sent me. I'd always be like, "No, thank you." You've got to want the change in you, not someone else dictating it. So absolutely would love to work with someone on one-to-one if they get my warped humor (laughs) (laughs) Um, for starting open to spirituality, but if they really are ready to make the change, you know, if they want to get over that fear of failure, that stuckness, the same old chapter, I would love it. Yeah. So where, where's your podcast and your, where are your podcast? Where's your podcast and your books available at? So I direct everyone over to the website. So it's just shellyfnight.com because there you can do like sign up to the newsletter. There's all the Facebook, Twitter, Instagrams, YouTubes, podcasts, everything's there. And if it's not, let me know and I'll slap my husband for not to putting it there. <laughs> so are you on TikTok then? No, I'm too old, lovely. You wouldn't know what to do. Oh, no, no. I, honestly, there is now a, a migration of older people on TikTok. There is. Oh, is it? I'm, I'm on Clubhouse. I thought that was quite down with the kids on Clubhouse. Try Quilt. Quilt would be a good place for you as well. Quilt is an app that is basically all about self-care and self-help. Oh, look at that. Say career progress with Donna. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this most likely should be something off air, but yeah. uh, No, sharing is caring, love. (laughs) Because, I mean, there's times when I've logged into Quilt and I was having an issue with somebody and it just so happened that they were having discussion about relationships and friendships and i was like oh okay well let me join this chat and you can either observe or raise your hand and be part of the conversation so it's a very it's a very unique app um tiktok eh, you know i'm on there a little bit i mean oh, you're so up. cool no 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 you're breaking out dance moves and things. <laughs> no no i don't do dance moves i usually do blind reacts and um you know, there was somebody posing a question the other day about writing because I'm an author and she posed the question of, is it normal for you to suddenly just get random scenes coming into your head in your stories? And so I answered, I'm like, oh, yeah, I have scenes from book two, three, four, five, you know, they're, yes, they're coming all the time whenever. So, yeah, that's what I do on TikTok. But so that's an option for you now. So your website, once again, is shellyfnight.com all right and let's see so let's go back to the original question so was it good to follow your dreams was it better to have followed your dreams to be a nurse and take this wild and crazy journey or not absolutely always follow your passion that niggle your heart always follow it yeah i wouldn't be the woman i am today i'd like to think i made a difference to people on the way as well but yeah, you always have to follow the passion. Don't die with, you know, that what ifs inside of you. Just go for it each and every time. And you're still following your passion. It's just a little bit different. Yeah. You're still- yeah. It's the wonky donkey version and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for thank you for coming on. It was a pleasure having you and talking to you. And uh, thanks again. Bless you. I've absolutely loved it. And thank you for sharing your stories. I feel truly inspired. So thank you. No worries.